Welcome to the Queer Movie Podcast, celebrating the best and worst in LGBTQ plus cinema, one glorious genre at a time. I'm Rowan Ellis. And I'm, of course, Jazza John. Each episode, we discuss a movie from a different genre of cinema. This episode's genre is Queer Queer Disability. But before we dive into this episode, as always, I have to ask, Jazza, what's the gayest thing you did since we last talked? It was actually quite hard for me to come up with this because I've had okay. a, a heavy a heavy work month. Oh, I, was gonna say, I thought we were going to say a very heterosexual you. month. Oh, have, have we met? I have had a very stressful, a very stressful month at work. And I decided to cull all non-work stresses from my life. And being gay is obviously a huge stress. And yeah, my, my, my choice of homosexuality. No. Um, I decided to once again for maybe the 20th time in my life, uh, delete Grindr again. Excellent. I believe a previous gayest thing I've done this month Was is download, download Grindr. Grindr again. Yeah, long-time listeners of the podcast will notice a pattern with Jazza's gayest mm. thing that he's done mm-hmm, this month. Mm-hmm. Gayest, I have a, gayest person he's done this month, am I right? Yeah, <laughs> I, have a, I have a hate-hate relationship with, <laughs> with, gay, with queer-focused dating apps. But I've... Deleted grinder, and it I will give me maybe. Well, I'll tell you what it'll be. It'll, I'll give me until I go traveling abroad again for me to download it. Okay. Mm-hmm. I because understand. I just just want to see who's available. Who's you know, around in X, Y, and Z just meet the place. locals. Exactly. Exactly. I like to get to know a country through its men. <laughs> How? Uh, what was the gayest thing you did, Rowan? So I think the gayest thing I did was that I watched. Our flag means death. And like <laughs> of every, course it was this. And like every other queer person who's watched that TV show, mm-hmm. it's my entire life, personality, mm-hmm. uh, sexuality, everything. It, it's queer pirates, basically. It's so good. Yeah, and yeah. as someone who, if you literally have like stood still for 30 seconds in my presence, <laughs> will know that Black Sails is uh-huh. the light of my entire life and the best thing I've ever watched. Yeah. The fact that there's another gay pirate show, a second gay mm-hmm. pirate show, which actually explores a lot of the same themes. Mm. I'm living my absolute best life, Jazz, honestly. Mm-hmm. If there's a third one, I might just ascend, to be honest. Like, it will be too much for me. I feel like pirates are inherently queer. Oh, listen, buddy. I've got a whole video essay that I'm currently scripting about this. It's sure. going to, I guess, be out by the time this this um, particular podcast uh, mm-hmm. episode comes out. Mm-hmm. So if first, anyone's first vampires, interested. now pirates. Every every genre is gay is hey, essentially what we're realising. Cishets, nothing is safe. Nothing is We're coming for mm-hmm. you. Exactly. Coming for your cowboys. We're coming for everything. <laughs> One hundred. Cowboys are definitely also gay. The last two episodes yeah. we've yeah. done are... <laughs> Every genre. What we're realizing when we say the best and worst of LGBTQ plus cinema, one genre at a time, we're basically like genre is gay. Therefore, (laughs) that like kind of goes without saying. Welcome to the podcast. (laughs) This episode, we'll be talking about Shanali Bose's film about disability, sex and sexuality, Margarita with a Straw. It was released in its native India in 2014, as well as doing the International Film Festival circuit, where it won its fair share of awards. As is customary in these hero parts, we'll be splitting the film into three acts. And a little bit of a spoiler, um, I have to tell you now that the party and its aftermath was is a tradition of uh, one of our acts has to be called the party and its aftermath. It was really difficult. Um, it was yeah. even more difficult to do it for this movie than it was for Power the Dog. So, 
That says something. But then after we've done that, we are going to be talking a little bit about the background of the film, how it was conceived and cast, and then also some context about disability in film. Finally, this film is confirmed queer. But just how queer? We'll give the film our very special gay ratings. So without further ado, let's sell our grandmother's necklace so that we can buy an iPad to watch porn on and get settled into Margarita with a Straw. So with these episodes, me and Jazza kind of get together. We each assign ourselves a different kind of topic to research around like the film itself, the genre, all that good stuff. And normally we kind of split it. So one of us does our bit of context before we talk about the movie itself and run through kind of the plot. And one of us does it afterwards. And today we were kind of talking and we thought it made way more sense for us to do most of our stuff after we've actually talked about the movie because we will be referring a lot to things that happen in the plot. And it just kind of made more sense to be more clear, to refresh people's mind if they uh, haven't seen the movie recently or if you haven't yet watched it at all so that you understand what we're talking about. Um, but before we dive into the plot, I did just want to have a quick bit of context because I think it's very interesting, which is specifically the LGBTQ plus disabled movie mm-hmm. kind of genre you mean two minorities in one row in one is movie? it possible who could who can say so i would say that in terms of movies that have like disabled queer characters the movie that i think most people have will have heard of or at least the kind of people that i've interacted with and that we've kind of talked to about movies is the way he looks so i think that like there was a very specific gay internet niche that was very into the short film in 2010 Mm -hmm. which included myself it was a short film called I don't want to go back alone um, a Brazilian short film and essentially it was just extremely cute and sweet Mm -hmm. it was like a sweet teenage romance that the feature film is essentially the same plot mm-hmm. as the show. there's like a couple of extra subplots in there but ultimately it's basically exactly the same plot so yeah the new boy comes to town and our high school protagonist who is a blind student essentially kind of falls for this guy but simultaneously there is maybe some jealousy maybe some strained friendships mm-hmm. with his best friend mm-hmm. and so it's a, you know classic high school sweet romance Mm-hmm. I think that that's probably the one that most people that I know are familiar with, if they're familiar with any at all. Because to be honest, there aren't that many movies which talk about both disability and sexuality. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's kind of obvious what the reasoning for that is, which is that we have this idea, you know, the false idea that there is a sort of a nebulous outline of a normal human being. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Just a default human. Mm-hmm. And it's probably that person is white. Quote that, unquote, normal. A normal, mm. one of the normals. That person is probably, uh, you know, white, a mm. man, uh, able bodied. Yeah, mm-hmm. like just heterosexual, just the everyday guy, you know, so, the every, the every man. Oh, and it is a guy. Yeah, the every man is very mm-hmm. much a man. And so, yeah, the more that you deviate from that, the more it's one, just a reflection of reality because there are people who exist within these different kind of intersections of identity and experience. But also it, it becomes more the conservative nightmare of like, oh, so what, you think we're going to make a movie about a, a disabled trans Indian woman? And I'm like, maybe. Yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> like they exist. Um, and so it's not that surprising, I think, that this is kind of what has happened, that this is like not a, a particular niche, like it's a niche genre enough that like you can mm-hmm. count the amount of movies that people have heard of on like one hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think especially, we'll talk about this a bit later after we've talked about the plot, but the 
specific stereotypes and kind of tropes that are within queer movies and within disabled movies, ironically enough, uh, are sort of opposites in a lot of ways. Mm. You have the like very desexualized, infantilized, disabled narratives, and then you have the very sexualized queer narratives. Mm -hmm. And so all of these things are conspiring together to mean that it's not a particularly prolific genre as of right now, mm. um, at least not kind of movies that a lot of people will have heard of and be familiar with. And I think actually we're probably more likely to have seen LGBTQ plus movies within a idea of disability that is more skewed towards mental health maybe mm -hmm. than it is towards disabilities which are more physical and obviously that's like a complicated that's like within the dis disabled community like these are conversations that are very nuanced and complicated mm -hmm. which never make their way onto screen because again why would you bother to have complex discussions within a community when you can just have a very othering look at a, a protagonist who has that one thing about them that's not normal it allows you to have simplistic um it, it, i think both on the marketing side of things it's this is the x movie yes whereas if whereas also it allows you to have kind of like a clear narrative as well and i think that there's some things in the way that we tell stories that maybe is is more conducive to there being kind of like a singular issue rather than an intersectional one mm -hmm. especially within the within movies that have a very limited yeah, runtime right, exactly. um i have a feeling that if we were to think at about like tv series it may be a little bit easier for us to find mm. um some examples i will say there is kind of the one that comes up if you were to search for it because normally if you if you search into google like LGBT happy movie or whatever, it comes up with like auto suggestions. And oftentimes they're very populated. Sometimes you're like, mm, is that a happy movie? Mm. Or like, is that really what I'm searching for? But if you search for like disabled LGBTQ plus movie, there's three examples that come up if mm -hmm. that. And so the one that's probably the most recent is T11 Incomplete. At least mm -hmm. I think that's how you pronounce it. I've not actually seen it. Um, it's very, very new. I think it's only kind of just had its release. Um, it's been again doing like the film festival circuit and the filmmaker herself lost her leg in the line of duty. She was a state trooper in 2001. And then she went on to become like a writer, director, producer, and they, we will talk about this later, unusually hired disabled and queer cast and crew mm. within working on the movie. And basically it's like a, it's a queer kind of love story, but it deals a lot with some sort of very like deep, dark personal themes and someone really clawing themselves out from rock bottom and mm. kind of becoming a better person or like the person that she wants to be with a romance kind of a queer romance included. So there are indeed these movies kind of sprinkled around, but it's definitely a, I think we're, we're getting to a point where these conversations around, you know, more queer stories, more disabled stories, more stories with people who hold those identities mm. at the creative helm, actually creating, telling the stories, telling the stories mm. and creating the stories means that hopefully we will be seeing more of this in the future. But right now this is part of a genre which is very sparse. Mm -hmm. And we will talk about all of the implications and the way in which this movie actually managed to get made in the first place without a lot of um, precedent for it. Mm -hmm. Once we've uh, taken you through the plot of the movie. So Jazza, would you like to start with uh, what you're calling the first act of our three acts? I'm so ready. So regular listeners know that there has to be. It is decreed mm -hmm. in the tenants. The bylaws. Yes, of the bylaws of the Queer Movie Podcast that one of the acts in the movie has to be called 
the party in its aftermath. And this was quite difficult. So I had to look for the only part of the movie that had a party and it is the first part of the movie. It is. So I've called act one, the party in its aftermath, where we are introduced to Lila Kapoor, who is a teenager with cerebral palsy played by Kalki Keeklin. She is uh, with an Indian family, a uh, mixed religion Indian family, and studying at Delhi University. She, as part of her studies, writes music with like a local band. She's the lyricist, is like a talented songwriter, and also has a friend who is also um, got a disability. I don't think we ever know what it's no, never No, we specified. know that he uses a wheelchair. He uses a wheelchair and I think it's well. implied from the way that he interacts that he isn't an ambulatory wheelchair user. Like mm-hmm. he he uses a chair for all his of his mobility needs because I mm-hmm. think he, he is depicted as someone who very much feels separated from people who don't have to use mobility aids, who are like, the word he uses being normal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but we don't actually find out exactly like what um, specifically has caused that for him. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is Dhruv, who uh, in the opening scene jokes with Lila about, oh, we're going to get married um, one day. Uh, And then they sip soft drinks together through a straw. Uh, It's it's very cute. You get, at least I got the impression off the bat, that uh, Dhruv feel something for Lila and Lila probably doesn't feel it reciprocated. Oh, that might be. uh... I found this scene very interesting because I was really confused about the fact that he is also like pointing out a girl in their class to her and like the fact of like specifically her ass within the scene. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that he's negging. Um, Yeah. uh... (laughs) The beginning of this movie feels like from the very first images that we have, it's very much like our setting that we're establishing ourselves in is India. Mm-hmm. Like this is going to be the first setting because later on when she leaves, it really is trying to emphasize that kind of fish out of water kind of element mm-hmm. to it, which is not specifically. Or, or fish in the snow. Oh, mm-hmm. excellent. Um, which again is like what a lot of this movie does, which is not paint the the struggles that she goes through as primarily like this is because of her disability. Mm-hmm. It's actually like, actually if you're a teenager who's, kind of starting university and is transferred to a completely new continent. Yeah, maybe there might be some stuff that's like, mm-hmm. you like miss your family or what it's like you have trouble because your mom always cooks amazing food for you. Like realizing, oh wait, I have to be an independent adult now and like cook my own food. And that's complicated by the conversations around independence within like a, a young kind of coming of age story of a disabled person, mm-hmm. but it's not completely different to yeah, it's not completely anyone's alien. experience. Have you met freshers? Like none oh, of them they can just, cook. Just the amount of boys I knew who would exclusively cook, like they would put ketchup in pasta with some cheese and be like, dinner. My, my flatmate is in his 30s and that is still oh his dinner. Oh my God. It's very sad. <laughs> but yeah, so we have this like really loving family that she's from. Clearly they are teasing each other. It's like very sweet. Mm-hmm. She's got this younger brother who's kind of the classic paint pain in the ass younger oh, brother such a little shit like, yeah i know yeah. it's great her dad who's just like joking around like it's it's very very sweet we kind of have this established family and then we also see though some experiences that she has that are very specifically experiences that are difficult because of her disability so the lift breaks at her university building and a group of guys have to basically lift her and her chair like up the stairs i think this is one of the most powerful scenes and it happens in the f- in the first five mm-hmm. minutes where 
she you can see her disassociating from the circumstance that she's in and the fact that there are a load of people from her school who are carrying her up like three or four people who are carrying her up in her chair and the fact that they are all talking over her or talking to one another Mm -hmm. about her but not to her despite the fact that they're helping her with her mobility i thought that was such a powerful scene i've never seen something portray that in quite yeah the same way. because fundamentally when you're using a mobility aid like that's your body yeah and so you have essentially a group of guys who are just like hauling someone's body like up a fight step without like acknowledging or having like mm. any kind of meaningful connection with this person yeah. in so a way that's even like basic right? respect yeah just like even just chatting being like oh, okay like and or like can we figure out how to get this lift fixed like mm. for for you like all of this kind of stuff is just not there and so i think also it's important that that scene comes after we've been given all these scenes of her capability and her mm. like just being a teenager that like laughs with her family and like mm-hmm. it has her best friend that she has these inside jokes with and like maybe a bit of flirtatious tension with and like we're really getting this uh, the the film is not allowing us to go in one direction or another we're mm-hmm. not doing the she's just like you nothing is different in her life because of her disability at all mm-hmm. but then you also aren't getting like she is incapable of anything. She is a victim. Pity her. Like it's it's a balance that's very deliberately struck in Lila these opening as a scenes. Is so difficult to pity. Like mm. like I I pity anybody who tries to pity her. Yeah, she which is, is kind of the point, right? Like, yeah, exactly. And you would traditionally, I think, uh, a lot of the ways that people with, especially with cerebral palsy, the way that they are have been portrayed in the past in media is as kind of like uh, at least at least when I've seen it in. Media, Media. it's been in tv shows where they are being cared for by somebody in like a medical drama or something along those lines and they're and part of their development is all about how vulnerable they are mm-hmm. whereas lila just comes across as so fucking capable mm-hmm. like of course there are some things that she literally cannot do but she's always pushing the boundaries of what she can do but also not in a inspiration porn way because she yeah. is also um not nice <laughs> some <laughs> of the she... time like she's just not a good person for for some of this movie and that's also just fine lila like, is a absolute knobhead um uh, we just will get a fuck into boy. It. um anyway but i think also like it really was clear to me during this opening sections of the movie that the filmmaker was trying to take any preconceived ideas that you might have having seen any of the very extreme versions of disabled representation mm. if you'd seen any or not necessarily as characters but just in generally the zeitgeist the media in general of like this is a person to be pitied or to feel inspiration from mm. and completely just giving you the opposite of all of those in every conceivable way because she has this moment with the broken lift and then she's like crops out her chair in a picture of herself on facebook but then as she's doing that she gets a pop-up of like a porn website and then is like and then goes off and has a i'm gonna masturbate it like i basically like okay i'm not gonna close this straight away she like unplugs the headphones to go wireless and is like (laughs) i think i'm just gonna have a wank now and so and then she comes to her university afterwards and clearly that's been like a very horny making experience for her and that she's like i think i actually just want to make out with another human being now for a while and boy does she oh does uh, she make out into that in the in the library stacks no less the quintessential like (laughs) university makeout place yeah almost like the beginning of an actual polo to be Mm -hmm. fair and so she takes her friend who we met in the opening scene drew and uh sucks his face off yeah um uh it's (laughs) it's cute (laughs) 
<laughs> in like the most teenage the moment, way of I like this it. is yeah. not it's also one of those scenes where you're like this is just you are horny and you want to like make out with someone in the library stacks but also you this is not your eventual love interest in this movie very clearly yeah the 100%. sexual tension is is for me at least very much felt more like oh we are two people who like each other enough and there's enough of us kind of fancying each other that we can just do this physical thing together but this is not our great love story yeah it's it's, it's <laughs> teenage sex i'll be completely honest <laughs> oh my gosh um, so Lila, as well as having Drew as a friend, uh, hangs out with the band that she writes lyrics for, feels a little bit distant from them, but ends up uh, developing a bit of a crush mm-hmm. for this Assamese guy who is objectively hot. Yeah, he's very, very uh, He's I- incredibly, incredibly good looking, has a shaggy mm-hmm. moppy hair. I'd have fancied the pants off of him if I was 17 years old. I, well. If I was 17 years old, no, maybe not 17. If I was like 15 years old, I would have been like, you, I can pretend. Oh, I can pretend. <laughs> you seem like someone I could, I would say, oh yes, look how hot he is. And they'd be like, right? And I'd be like, I did it. I think so. <laughs> I, I I tricked them all, Um, which I think is the true. When both me and Jazz are acknowledging someone's heart, I feel like you can... Yeah, you know yeah, it's yeah. it's real. Yeah, you know where it is. <laughs> uh, they hang out a little bit. They're jamming with the um, band. We they're preparing for a competition for a battle of the bands. A line that I really like is Lila goes up to uh, this guy and says, "You can come to my house anytime and jam." And I'm like, Lila knows that jam means sex. Excellent, very good, well done. But it's great because like it's that scene has a lot of. Well, I felt like it had some really interesting subtlety to it because she's like she's like this is going well I'm gonna ask him to jam and he says what and I feel like it's because she can't tell whether he's saying what as in like why would I come to your house or that he cannot understand understand, her and so and that to me is really interesting because she's that is like a very specific experience which has real like Venn diagram crossover with any teenager's experience of like awkwardness and asking someone out and like being nervous about what they're gonna say but with real specifics of Mm -hmm. someone who is worried about whether they're communicating correct like correctly or right or in a Mm. in a way that people are going to understand which we'll get into more but is something that very specifically is an experience that like the inspiration that the filmmaker was drawing from Mm. the who's a family member of hers also has talked about like also has is something that she has specifically picked out as being an experience that she's had so it was it felt very like real in that in that sense and then she kind of repeats it and it's more that he was like, oh yeah, no, sorry, I just didn't catch that. Like, okay, yeah, no, sure, I'd love to do yeah, that. I'd it wasn't him like rejecting jam. her. Like, we'd love to jam with mm. you. So they take part in this battle of the bands and they win. Oh, huzzah, Woo-hoo. very good. Well, uh, end of the movie, big, well, hey, we did it. We won the battle this of the is, bands. This is the happy ever after. Yeah. Uh, uh, spoiler, no. So they, in the dickest move, in like the weirdest, dickest move where the person who awards the band the win goes, we saw that the lyricist for the band was disabled and so we had to give them the win. Literally those words mm-hmm. came out in Hindi and it was... I mean, I mean, in what pla- on what planet does that sound like an okay thing to say? Mm-hmm. Uh, Lila flips the bird. Uh, <laughs> and then As fucks she off. should has a bit of a cry uh she's supported by her bandmates they all say you're actually really good it is actually it's not a bad song either to be fair mm-hmm. and then in a moment of vulnerability the bandmate the singer the lead singer that she fancies who is beautiful according to me and mm-hmm. rowan comes up and consoles her and then she tries it on with him and he says oh no no thank you and then she cries 
Yes. Uh, so she has been rejected by the beautiful, beautiful man. Lila, I feel you. It's going to happen more in your life. And then simultaneously to this stuff, mm. which I think we can talk a little bit about because I feel like this is a weakness in the film that people have pointed out, which is the this sort of disconnect between a few different storylines that happen within mm -hmm. this movie that traditionally you want to link a lot of your plots together. And a lot of people felt like this particular plot with her mum was not as well linked as they wanted it to be. Mm -hmm. um, so we have, for example, in this section, like she plays music with her mum. She bonds with her mum in that way. She has a like her, takes a bath and her mum's helping her in the bath. And she's having her hair washed. Having her hair like washed, really which is very scene, sweet. Yeah. And it's also very interesting because it's not a scene which is either sexualized with a teen girl in a bath, mm -hmm. which is... Uh, surprisingly, people love to sexualize teen girls in baths, which is very gross, but there we go. Um, love that for society. Exactly. But it's also not seen as this like pitiable indignity either. It's just like kind of bonding moment mm. in a way that like your mum might do your hair or help you out in some way. It's just like, cool, this is chill. This isn't weird. Mm -hmm. And it's just part of my life. And it's just like a fly on the wall kind of thing. Her relationship with her mum will like continue throughout this movie and be like a real big crux of it as will you know sex relationships like it feels like a very classic movie structure of like mm. we're setting up our protagonists we're setting up our themes and we're about to dive into a new world in mm -hmm. this kind of second act of like and that new world is literally the new world it is um. the Americas. <laughs> so Lila has NYC, been, baby. <laughs> she's been accepted onto a scholarship to study at New York University. And then very abruptly, we go from the streets of New Delhi uh, to the streets of apparently Greenwich Village. Well, hey. Um, uh, uh, to study at New York University mm -hmm. with her mum, who's staying there and, and looking after her while she's there too. They land and it literally goes from Indian heat like you can in some of the cinematography you can feel some of the like mm -hmm. Delhi heat and also like the rain as well and yeah, like it's very it's storms. very feels like very much has a sense of place mm -hmm. which makes a lot of like that's what you want to do within the storytelling in this kind of movie where you're gonna do culture clash and all that kind of stuff is yeah, yeah, is to do yeah. that and I feel like that was something that was really well done in the movie of, yeah. of, of feeling a place for sure And then we land in Manhattan and uh, immediately snow. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Little and different. Drift, drifts of snow uh, for somebody using a wheelchair, uh, less than convenient. But we end up uh, seeing Lila go off and, and start interacting with people in, uh, in New York. And this is where I have my second act. Okay, which you're calling... I've named it very simply, Lila is horny. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's pretty mm. much the entire second act. You're not, you're not wrong about that, to be honest. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It kind of feels like that. And you know, pretty what? much sums it up. I, you know, I support her. Uh, if she were my friend, I'd love hearing about all of these escapades. But she's a dick. Yeah, which uh, I love. Like, I really, really love that. And I think that when we watched, this, I like her, but she's a dick. She, I love her, but yeah. she's a dick. Um, when I when we watched this, because we watched this um a while ago now on the Discord mm -hmm. on the Queer Movie Podcast Discord, which spoiler alert, you can join if mm -hmm. you become a patron um, yeah. on Patreon. And you can watch month movies, monthly with us. movies with us. Monthly. It's so great. It's great. Yeah, it's we, really amazing. Please join. Thank you. <laughs> we watched this movie, and it's really interesting because uh. I feel like people have a very sensitive dickhead meter 
in the in the Discord. I feel like if you have a character who's even a little bit annoying, they're it's like, like cancel them. I hate them so yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I yeah. feel like this is that kind of character where it's like she's just making bad decisions sometimes, yeah. but also you're kind of rooting for it at the same time. Um, and I feel like this is as someone who is like asexual a lot of lesbian media and a lot of queer kind of woman media, bisexual woman media, it's very sex heavy in a uh -huh. way that I am like just not very interested in. I'm much more interested when there is some kind of like actual like plot reason or character reason or something that feels like it makes sense for it to be happening. Mm -hmm. And so like, you know, the old handmaiden, love it, like a 10 minute sex scene in that, but it kind of made sense because there was a lot of like personality going on and, and sure, sure, sure. weird. It was also a really fucking long movie. So that it was also, yeah. Proportionately uh, makes sense. Proportionately, it was a 10 second sex scene. Um, <laughs> but this movie's kind of the same. Like I'm very fed up of uh, movies with queer women where there's like zero chemistry between the leads and they mm. just have this very like fraught, like, strings orchestral score in the background sex scene. I'm like, this is so fucking boring. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, act two, she was being very horny, but in a way that was like, okay, we're actually learning something about the, her character and how she sees herself, sees other people. She's kind of getting to know herself better, her independence. Like she's in this completely new place and figuring stuff out. She's mm -hmm. had this previous life, right? Where she's been rejected by this guy she really fancied. She kind of just made out with her best friend who then told her, you'll mm. never fit in with any of the normal people. Oh yeah. Like you'll net, like you can't make yourself be normal by hanging out with them. Kind mm -hmm. of this implication that they didn't really like her as a friend, mm -hmm. like which it must mess you up as someone, as like a, a teenager, or like a young adult where you're have all these insecurities and someone is literally telling you, like mirroring them all back to you and then you're like last experience is rejection mm -hmm. and then you have to move to another country like mm -hmm. uh you know she's dealing with it how she's gonna deal with it i mean i hard relate <laughs> <laughs> I, I, i've definitely had terrible breakups and then coincidentally moved to a different continent oh my god classic no, you never, that's so me oh my god um so her because she's still living with her mum her mum is kind of like, well, you really should be studying. You have come here on a scholarship and that sounds important. Mom, when are you going to let me leave and be on my own? Let me be cool. <laughs> and so Lila wanders out and then finds a Black Lives Matter protest, it looks like. or like she an did. Anti Classic New York. Yeah, Always yeah, yeah, protesting. Yeah, yeah. There's a, um, a protest uh, every, every day, which is where she gets to <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. What I'm what I'm about to say is not funny, but it's just uh, such a strange occurrence it's a meet of like you, meeting Jazza. somebody. It's a meet cute. She she gets tear gassed and then meets Kanum, who is a blind student as well of Pakistani Bangladeshi descent, and they start hitting it off, uh, hanging out. One of my favorite things about um, Kanum is how she introduces herself, and she says, "I've lived in seven countries." including Madagascar. Oh, mm. I kind of want to know the other ones now, mate. Nah, yeah, exactly. You my interest, what was, babe. What was so special about Madagascar? I know, of? you didn't think so. You wouldn't look at me and think Madagascar. Mm -hmm. Any other country, you'd be like, that. yeah, that checks. As soon as I say Madagascar, I know you're going to question me, yeah, 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 but yeah. don't you question me about oh, it. How interesting, Madagascar. So they uh, end up hanging out a little bit and uh, one of their first kind of like, I think this is more of a friend date at the time, but uh, they go to the museum, they start touching artifacts and like feeling the ridges in artifacts and i'm pretty sure that's 
Not often that's something that's allowed in museums, but you know what, we'll allow it for the cinematic mm, effect. Sometimes you just got to fill those ridges, Jazza. I love a ridge. With your girlfriend. Yeah, um, sure. <laughs> and as we have established in our in our coin movie watches, hands are Hands gay. are inherently fair, um, yeah. Shots of hands, just very, very gay. It's a really and hot And partly scene. now I'm realising, maybe that's why I didn't uh, why I was quite into Bridgerton season two because I did have a, quite a lot of hand scenes even though it's entirely heterosexual hand scenes there, there was a lot of like you know hands not quite brushing uh-huh. hands, tw- hands twitching in the presence of a of someone that you you wish to be your betrothed mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff and now mm-hmm. I'm like ah oh, maybe it's just because it's they were they were really appropriating the queer language, the queer cinematic language of hands. Mm. But yeah, so they kind of have this relationship that feels very interesting in that they both clearly see something very specific in the other one, right? Mm-hmm. They're both very different mm. and they see the positive qualities in each other that might be totally different to how they are. Mm-hmm. But they really like there. There feels like there's a really interesting kind of dynamic between them from this meet you getting tear gas together. <laughs> Classic. Um, Great. How did you meet story though? Oh, so good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If only it was a story they could tell their grandchildren. You know, but they won't be. So <laughs> spoiler alert spoiler. for the end of the film. And so yeah, she basically, you know, having been a horny girl in India who definitely liked boys, mm-hmm. is suddenly in this position where she's like, oh no. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you get tear gassed and suddenly you're like, maybe I'm bisexual. It does the tear gas turn you queer? Let's not. It's a great question. That, that's I mean, an I'm excellent just question. That there, you know, if a if a science podcast is listening and they would like to let us know, um, we should get Corey back. Oh, get, get Corey into, back on yeah, the podcast yeah, yeah. and be like, hey, Corey, can you just um, confirm, confirm or deny? Uh, can the Psy guys let us know? But they, uh, she basically is like, hmm, I am definitely still attracted to men though as well mm-hmm. and then just you know to prove it to herself either way mm-hmm. it's like maybe i should just date this girl but also have Fuck sex with man. jared <laughs> so jared let's played... let's talk about jared <laughs> jared is the most boring character oh he's so bland um he's literally he's like white chocolate bunny english accent boy even even giving him like the the specificity of white chocolate bunny like let's not go too far he's just like a plain round easter egg yeah 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 looks like he could have plain round easter egg the poor man Um, still white chocolate do you agree with that like he is objectively hot no, 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 no. I didn't. Don't put those words in my mouth. So Rowan sorry. Ellis. So, so, continue, Jazza. How dare he's, I? He's objectively kind of like good looking, but and in that all of his th- everything is in place. He does have a face. He owns yeah. a chin. He owns. I, a he chin does own a chin and has an an English accent, which I hear oh. people not from our island think is hot. I think that without the other romance from this movie, yeah. There is a movie with him as the love interest, which is just a very sort of sweet romance, cute, whatever mm-hmm. kind of movie. But then they did introduce the tear gas sure, lesbian to yeah. everything. And it's suddenly you're like, mm, I don't know if Jared's going to hold a candle. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> And I don't think that's just like my lesbianism, like uh, cropping up there. I do think that there's much more. It's it's kind of, it's it's very interesting seeing her navigate these two relationships. And I think that we, I think that in part, it's a it's a tricky one because there's a lot of baggage around queer movies and like mm-hmm. happy endings, happy romantic endings. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is this idea from a lot of people that like to have a happy ending for a queer movie 
the couple has the queer couple has to be together at the end or mm-hmm. the queer person has to be in a happy relationship at the happiness end happiness does not necessarily come from being in a relationship mm-hmm. my controversial opinion <gasps> i know what was that that you Cancel. were saying earlier about grinder <laughs> you having to you're downloading it again I'm you're deleting to, it again i'm trying to find my own happiness <laughs> trying Thank to you find my much. own peace um what i loved about the introduction of jared was uh the explicit horniness of lila again so where she the the teacher goes oh i'll get you a tutor because clearly you need it because you're new here we don't know if it's implied that because of her um disability, uh, state, that disability that's what it is. That she, yeah that, that's what it is and she goes oh no i really don't need anybody oh you want me to teen up with that basic hot boy yes please uh, that would be so good thank you so much oh my gosh i really do need a tutor like yeah. oh i can't what are words can't even read give it. me the tutor <laughs> and they have a couple of conversations and one, one of the it just one of the things that makes me sometimes very ashamed to be a white Englishman is uh, he talked about the fact that he had an uncle who lived in Varanasi. He was like, oh, you're Indian? I have a uh, an uncle who was in Varanasi. He emanated such peace. And Lila laughs at him and goes, Varanasi is anything but peaceful. It is like a cacophony <laughs> of sound and everything. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. It's also but like, yeah, like you can see how the, the storyline of like, tutor tutee where it's like a it's like a student teacher relationship but without the power imbalance kind of type romance trope would would itself be a totally different movie but like this is specifically a movie about her and her like journey of discovery of her sexuality her independence like it's not Mm. it's not that movie but it's it's kind of like interesting i Sometimes it's interesting to look at movies and be like, what could you have been in in another world? Mm -hmm. And instead it was like, oh no, Jared, in this movie, you're just very bland. And so she, yeah, has sex with Jared. Um, She does. Um, (laughs) And immediately regrets it. I think you see her regretting it during the act. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, I I think the sex scene itself is literally 10 seconds long. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also, I I felt really uncomfortable with the way that it was initiated, but I have heard people who similarly um, sometimes need, need assistance going to the toilet where they were like, oh, it was great to kind of like see that intimacy. But it was the intimacy between Lila and Jared started with him uh, undressing her so that she could go to the toilet. And that, I don't know, it just, it, it felt a bit exploitative on Jared's part to then be like, let's bang now. This is a scene that's been like very heavily commented on um, by a lot of people. And I think uh, more people than not agree with your side of things Mm. that, and I think the context of that, because I think it's separate. If there was no context to this, right? You could argue every which way about the idea of like, you know, it's a way of having like a situation in which someone could be very infantilized specifically not be that right Mm -hmm. like if you're in a situation where you're needing someone to help you with like what are considered basic bodily needs Mm -hmm. you can see how that can very quickly turn into an infantilizing situation and that to have someone still be seen as like an adult still be seen as like an independent person who is also sexual who has her own desires like within that moment it's very could be very powerful Mm -hmm. the where it gets specifically tricky for a lot of people is that the instances of abuse and sexual assault towards disabled people by their carers Mm -hmm. and by people in that kind of position of power is a very real problem. Mm -hmm. And so I think for a lot of people, it was like way too close to these very real situations of a a, a real power imbalance and a real feeling of vulnerability. 
that meant that they were like, we kind of can't see this as something that mm. like in, in the end of the day feels empowering or anything like that, or, or, or even not even empowering as like an, a, a very active word, but even just like cutting across the, the disempowerment or the vulnerability that someone might feel or, or what it might look like in the moment, mm. because the reality is that this is a situation that has a power imbalance that is exploited in real life. And so I think that that, I mean, with these movies as like both of us don't have CP, so we mm -hmm. can't be like, oh, from our experiences. And there's a, but that's kind of the, the case with a lot of movies, there will be experiences or things that we don't have. And so we're kind of giving our opinions as like our points of view. And then yeah, also- like I, I watched it and felt a certain way. Mm -hmm. and, I, like I, and I I've also seen the criticisms of this as well that have kind of like reinforced some of that initial feeling that I had, but some people felt really yeah. empowered by the choice yeah. as well. Like it's and this is this is possible like, to have both. I know, right? So that's like generally why we try within movies where mm. there are experiences or identities that don't don't mass necessarily match ours to look at the reviews, the comments, the criticism that have come from people who do have that experience mm. or do have very strong feelings about it, and you will often find because no community, no kind of group of people with the same experience are a monolith. Mm -hmm. No one's gonna all think the same. In the same way that like, you know, there are some movies within the podcast that we've watched that I hate, Jazza loves and vice mm -hmm. versa. And Rowan knows she's wrong. Cause it's not, cause it's, cause that's kind of not how it works. But I think it's useful to, to talk about it in terms of the context of why people feel different ways on top of their own personal experiences and things that they might think. Cause there'll be people who watch this who, have literally had that experience and mm -hmm. be like with their like partner, for example, and been like, it was the best sex of my life. Mm. And that's gonna inform their opinions just mm -hmm. as much as their disability does, right? Mm. And so I think that um, we'll talk later because this film is very, very interesting in terms of how it got made and the experience of people on set and the actors and the people who the film was inspired by and all mm. this kind of stuff is like fascinating. And I think it's always really interesting when we're looking at movies where we have that context of like knowing that context and watching the movie. And I'm so aware of not wanting to have the context of a movie allow me to either make excuses for it or be more harsh on it than if I was just watching it with no mm -hmm, context. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And some people it's the complete opposite way around, right? They want to know within a movie where like who was writing this what experiences do they have mm -hmm. like how are they tied into this story mm -hmm. um and i think they're both very valid ways of watching a movie mm -hmm. but we're just you know being transparent with your listener that this mm -hmm. is where we're coming from in that you know for the podcast we necessarily have to do research for it so we will have this context when we're discussing it literally our jobs literally our jobs for now so yeah jared's a bit of a honestly at this point the the, the sex scene itself shall we say lacks the intimacy of previous sex scenes with uh Canum and uh, even the sloppy kiss um mm -hmm. uh, with her friend earlier in the movie like it just seemed very transaction it was very um it was very straight sex uh, to be honest yeah. it's what i imagine it's always like <laughs> i imagine it always being a let down um mm -hmm. feel free to at me straight community mm -hmm. um but that's my that's my take that's my opinion mum is getting ready to go back to india while lila is <laughs> fucking around campus and uh, eventually ends up finding um some porn on lila's ipad in order to buy the ipad lila sold 
a family heirloom, and they have a big argument, uh, which is somewhat understandable. Um, Mum leaves, and then Lila and Canum keep doing intimate hand stuff. And then I get into the third act of the movie. Mm-hmm. Hello there, listener. Jazza here. Do you like balls? Well, if you do, just like me, then you will probably also like the other Multitude show, Horse. Horse is a podcast about ridiculous stories, internet drama, and some of the biggest and baddest personalities out there in the world today. All from the world of basket, ball. Very witty joke, Jazza. Hosts Adam Mamawala and Mike Schubert want the world to know how unbelievable the history and culture of basketball is. They're here to fight gatekeeping and prove that it's entertaining for everyone to follow, from superfans to folks like me who've never cared about sports before. Whether it's a shot-by-shot breakdown of Get Your Head in the Game from High School Musical, (laughs) excellent, or a thorough discussion of the best and worst food at NBA arenas, the Horse Boys have got you covered. New episodes release every other Monday. Just search Horse in your podcast app or check out horsehoops.com that's horse because basketball is more than what happens on the court do you dear listener use the internet have you perhaps been on a website before have you thought about creating your own then may i introduce you to squarespace who are supporting us here on the queer movie podcast for anybody who doesn't know Squarespace is an all-in-one platform where you can build a brand and set up a business to thrive. You can really pop with a beautifully crafted website, just in the same way that my co-host Rowan has done with hers. Rowan's Squarespace website is quite amazing. It's bright, colourful and a hub for all of the things that she has in the works. She is as I have said many a time before, a very busy lesbian. So it's important for her to have a space like this to be able to find out about her YouTube, her books, and even how to hire her as a speaker, which I can recommend you do so. As internet personalities, me and Rowan love the fact that you can use Squarespace not just to build a fancy website, but also connect all of your social media in one place. You can use it as a way to run your email campaigns, and I love fishing around in the data of website traffic uh, because I am uh, <laughs> I'm a little bit of a data nerd. If that sounds good, then you can take advantage of an exclusive promotion being offered through the Queer Movie Podcast and help support us as well. All you have to do is go to squarespace.com slash queermovie and when you're set up to make all of your digital business dreams come true, you can use the offer code queermovie, all one word, to save 10 percentage points off your first purchase of a website or a domain. Help us out and make a really fancy website. Sounds great. Amazing. Iconic. Groundbreaking. Remember, go to squarespace.com slash queermovie. Now, back to our little chat. So I think that even though Jazza was, you know, not the biggest fan of the sex scenes that Lila has with men, um, it is probably useful to know 
it's very explicitly talked about that she's bisexual in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yes, it's 100%. not really like the the fact like that she, the, both she of uses the, the term. She t- yes. she looks it up, talks about it. Her underwhelming experiences sexually with men. Oh no, that's on Jared. That's on Jared, <laughs> and that's on uh, her friend from the beginning, and that's on the guy who rejected her. Like it's yeah. not. It's very much that she's not like. Uh, that it's kind of a coincidence that those are the dudes rather than it being like, oh, this is a discovery of her lesbian identity. Like she very clearly is portrayed as like figuring out that she's bisexual and it not mm-hmm. necessarily being this big, like dramatic, like, oh my God, this is the worst thing to ever happen to me. Like I got to figure out, like she like does some Googling and she's figured it out. And like it, the word is there. That, that's like what we're, we're essentially getting from this. So the third act for me, uh, I've just called yuck. Okay, yeah. Because that is the response that the mum has when Lila comes out. And I thought, I've never seen that response Mm. um, uh, uh, to somebody uh, uh, coming out. It was an interesting word. I would have wanted something more um, uh, upbeat, but it it doesn't really happen. Sometimes it's not, it doesn't happen like that. Third act of this, proper sad. Uh. Yeah, I feel like this is, again, like I kind of hinted at it earlier, but there's... um, the the big kind of like dramatic climactic stuff within the third act is i mean not to be like we'll talk about it in a second but there's reasons why the third act is the way the third act is from the point of view of the filmmaker but i have read a lot of reviews from people who have been like this kind of didn't that like what was this it turns like what happened hard. um and like, a lot yeah. and a lot of reviews actually talk about the idea that up until that point mm-hmm. the movie's great like mm-hmm. they were fully on board this is amazing we're loving this excellent and excellent and then i think that that third act just kind of went in a direction that they did not see coming mm. in a way that kind of took them out of the enjoyment that they had for the initial stages of the movie mm. because we get not the buildup of the the first two act storyline that we've had, which again, like as we've said before, was very much her like kind of discovering her independence, her sexuality, like all of this kind of stuff. Um, you maybe expect a I'm coming out to my parents scene, and then that's like the big crux is the coming mm-hmm. out bit, or it's a oh god, I've just had I've like essentially cheated on this girl that I'm dating, and now I've got to reconcile it with her, or break off, or figure it out, mm-hmm. or like mm-hmm. her examining like mm, maybe I'm kind of a bad person, maybe for cheating on my girlfriend, like I should maybe look at myself and the ways in which I mean potentially the idea of like hey because I have been infantilized for so much of my life because there've been a lot of assumptions about who I should and shouldn't date, whether I, whether sex is something I should be having at all. Like all of these Mm -hmm. societal expectations and like underestimating of me has maybe contributed to me overcompensating in a way that's actually ultimately only hurting myself and the people around me. And then they were like, what if her mum died? So (laughs) instead, it all happens so bloody quickly like a gatling gun mum invites kanum who she thinks is still just the flatmate of mm. lila that's uh, a buddy to invites her to um visit the family in india then they arrive in india and lila is battling whether or not or how she's going to come out to her mother she's supported by kanum and her friends as well uh, in order to do so. But it turns out mum's got colon cancer and is in, like, it went away and it's come back and she's in therapy, is losing some of her hair and wearing a wig. Um, uh, and then she comes out to her mum. Her mum says, yuck. Um, uh, which I still think Ooh. is very odd. Uh, not the be- not the best thing you could have said no, to your daughter. Yeah, says yuck. And then the family never really talk about it ever again. 
they then trundle towards mum dying. There are some lovely scenes of the reverse of the carer, of the role of the carer, mm-hmm. where Lila is looking after her mother. Simultaneously, she, while, you know, going through the whole your mum's dying thing, mm-hmm. comes clean about oh my god easter egg jared yeah says i fucked an easter egg to canum and canum is understandably very pissed off canum asks why did you do it and lila says well because he could see me and i kind of understand the thing of like i wanted to be seen by someone that somebody like can look at me and find me attractive Mm -hmm. um but maybe don't say that to your blind girlfriend. Yeah, you know? that feels a little like, bit of empathy, know, not, Lila. Not the vibe. Mm. Um, also, knowing that if if you had been dating someone, Lila, and they had said something equivalent to you that was around your disability, right. babe, mm. you know you would not be happy about that. You would not be putting up with it. We, you little firecracker, like what, that would not be girl, happening. Our girl is young and needs to learn a little bit of empathy. Mm-hmm. I think uh, that's uh, those are the notes we're giving Lila this fictional. <laughs> we're just just you know for the sequel. Um, Maybe you'll learn it by the end. So, Mum then dies. Canum leaves to go back to New York. I should say before we say that she died. Um, oh sure, go on please. There is a reconciliation in their relationship mm. before the actual death. Sure, sure. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I guess, yeah. Yeah, Why yeah, not? I guess. Sure, fine. Um, um, but this all happens within the space of about 10 minutes, so... Yeah, so it's not... It's, it's... <laughs> it is a fast, like, roller coaster down to the end. Yeah, and I think that this is, like, that... Like, me kind of uh, talking before about the idea of, like, a Jared movie uh, and Lila movie, sort of slightly just tongue-in-cheek or the idea of, like, you know, maybe he could have been interesting in a different setting. But with here, I'm like, no, genuinely, you could have had a whole movie about a girl and her mother and the idea of her... It was a like, different movie. Yeah, it was a completely mm. different movie that just kind of, like, showed up at the at the end there. And I think that, like, I also felt, I guess, similarly to, to a lot of the reviews I'd seen about that idea of, like, how fast that happened and mm. how... The fact that we had so much of that first act before she'd even gotten to New York, and then we have this final act that had had all of this other stuff in there, it is enforcing the idea that like this isn't the a college romance movie, right? Like there's other mm. stuff going on that's just like the middle third, and it's mainly about her journey. But I still felt like we could have had that without it being so rushed, mm-hmm. especially because it does have those kind of maybe slight tropes of like forgiveness at the end of your life. Like you realize that nothing, it only matters that you accept your children because you're going to be dying. So this is the final chance you get kind of reconciliation, which mm-hmm. is arguably, you know, has some forced element to it potentially rather mm. than a kind of a genuine thing. But it's also very uninteresting to see someone change their mind out of nowhere. Like that's kind of right. not how it works in movies. And so yeah. to try and have someone say, you know, talk to their unsupported family about their sexuality within the third act and then have it all reconciled by the end of the third act. It's a tough, it's a tough going a lot of the time. And the third act itself, it's literally only half an hour. Yeah. Like especially when that's like not been the point of the movie itself. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was just a lot to, to get into, but yeah, essentially the ending of the movie is her playing this song like going back to the beginning of her and her mother like playing music together and her mm. particular like skill set and her talents mm-hmm. and where they We've lie kind of forgotten that lila is a musician yeah i kind of had as well to be um, honest because she was too busy uh, fucking. fucking the easter yeah. yeah using her fingers for other means <laughs> um and at her mother's funeral she 
essentially just talks about her mom and how much she loved her and how her mom understood her and plays this music and then goes out for a drink. Yeah, goes on a date with herself. Yeah. Has a margarita Maybe with that's straw. what she should have done for, for some of more of this learn, movie. S- learn some self-love, Lila. Uh, and then the and film... not just like what happened at the beginning when you were learning self-love with that internet pop-up, but like genuine self self-romance, you know? Have a wank. Take yourself on a date. Mm-hmm. Delete grinder, Lila. Delete grinder, Lila. That's That's the the end of the movie. That's the end of the movie. (laughs) So Shanali Bose, the director, has talked about how she grew up closely with her cousin, who she's said feels more like a sister to her. They were about the same age, um, born within a year of one another. Uh, her cousin is called Malini Chib, uh, who is an author herself um, and has an autobiography. Which is called One Little Finger, mm. which she wrote with typing with one finger yeah. for two years. Love that. Just a bit, um, bit of flavour for you. So when Bose was visiting Chib in London, they went out for a drink. Apparently Chib can drink anybody under the table. Good on her. We we love somebody who could who can handle her IPA. And Bose asked, what do you want for your 40th? Your 40th is coming up. And apparently Chib goes, I just want to have sex. Like really clearly, it's just like, I just want to fuck. Every story about this woman just makes me want to hang out with her, to be honest. 100%. There's like loads of them online. And I'm just like, God, just like... The fact that she both really liked the movie, yeah. but was also on a lot of like the tour for the movie. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, like her yeah. cousin clearly was like, okay, well I'm getting flown out to these film festivals. Do you want to come with? And she was mm-hmm. like, yeah. And then she just was just like going to the pub, like and doing this, just like, yeah, let's relive these glory days of me telling you I wanted to fuck. And then you made a movie for me. Yeah, like, this yeah. is great. So I just felt like she seems like a great time. I do love that. So although Chib's life is not the inspiration for the movie, she, her fingerprints are all over it was consulting for uh Kalki Kuklin who plays Lila in the movie um and they have some really fun stories as well about how they would like um go out get pissed <laughs> and like learn from one another and they also Kalki um Kalki also talks about how Chib once said oh you know that when you're like because um I didn't know this, actually, when we were watching it for the first time. Um, Kalki Koklin doesn't have cerebral palsy. I I was a little bit shocked, to be honest. And so she went through several months of a really intensive kind of like practice learning what it was like to, to live with uh, CP. And that itself is certainly a part of the controversy of this here film. Well, well, Jazza. What a segue into the stuff I was researching for this podcast, which is disability in film. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the idea of people, actors playing experiences and identities that they don't have. We talked about it on the podcast before. CR at Power of the Dog episode. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so and I, I think that there are some identities which are regarded now as like absolutely do not do. Uh, blackface, you know, being one of them, for example, sure, or yeah. yellow face or brown face or like the equivalents. And then I also think that more and more we're seeing that like trans characters not being played by trans actors are 
it's slowly becoming a thing that people are more understanding of like what should actually be happening. Mm. And a lot of the people who got um, like Eddie Redmayne, people like that who have had roles in the past have commented on the idea of like, I would not do this again. And like, mm -hmm. I feel like I've learned a lot since that happened in kind of a, a short time frame. Queer actors and queer roles outside of transness, like just dealing with sexuality have been slightly more loose and there's a bit more of an argument about it. With disabled characters and actors, I know, like most people that I know within the disabled community are in favor of disabled actors and disabled roles. Mm -hmm. And the phrase that is used, and I feel like it is useful to say that this is a phrase that's used, but within it holds, <laughs> holds a word that some people find offensive, but this is kind of the equivalent of the term blackface is cripping up. Mm -hmm. So the idea of you're going to take on this mantle of someone who is disabled and where this is, uh, why these things are an issue is oftentimes because they are linked to a history, which is very damaging. So blackface obviously being linked to like minstrelsy and all this kind of stuff, or like currently damaging. So like, you know, a trans woman being played by a cis man is very much feeding into the idea of like trans women are just men in dresses, which has a material effect on people in the actual mm. world. And so similarly, the argument for disabled characters being played by disabled actors is things like, you know, disabled people are so underemployed compared to their capabilities uh, and also underpaid compared to their capabilities so often. And um, the wage gap is enormous that to take away an opportunity from someone who is disabled and give it to someone who isn't feels like an injustice that's very specifically tied to their identity. And then for mm. you to then use your identity within a film kind of exploiting the identity without rewarding the people within that particular community. Mm -hmm. There also are a lot of examples of uh, disabilities being portrayed in a very uh, exaggerated, cartoonish, caricaturish light, which feeds into uh, sort of dehumanizing ideas of, of people with disability within our world. Like there's, there's lots of kind of um, discussions around it. But it's also uh, similar to these other conversations that we've been having, something that like has happened for a long time in cinema and people within those communities have been talking about it within their communities. And then it starts to get more of a widespread publicity or conversations. And then we get to a point where it's like, oh, this is no longer acceptable. And then we have to have that conversation of like, what do we do with those films that were made prior to this mm -hmm. being something that was like just that a known of. thing that everyone's aware of and we now know. And I think that this film is, very, is one that people find very interesting because it is a film where, as you just pointed out, the lead, actually both of the leads yeah, who are playing blood, disabled yeah. characters were not disabled themselves. Mm. And like more specifically didn't have the disabilities that those particular characters did. Mm -hmm. And but, got a lot of praise from it. And got a lot of praise from it. And I, I like, there's been critics who have talked about how this was, uh, who disable critics talking about the idea of like, this is a film that tells a really interesting story and like has, is doing a lot in terms of the way that this character is portrayed, but they feel very uncomfortable with the idea that this actor, like the, I think there's like a quote from a critic, um, S.E. Smith that said, there's a constant reminder that this is a performance for the actress who gets to shrug it off between takes. And at times that creates a vaguely creepy voyeuristic tone mm -hmm. and that that kind of knowledge colors your uh, enjoyment of the film. Mm -hmm. I would say that within the context of this movie, if you were to cast a non-disabled actor to play a disabled part, it feels like behind the scenes, this was done pretty much as well as you could do if those are the parameters that you set yourself. Sure. 
So as we talked about before, uh, Chip was like heavily involved in this process. Mm-hmm. Was like- Hung out for months. Months and Kaki, months yeah. with this, like became really good friends with the actress. And there was an agreement because the actress was very aware of not wanting it to be cartoonish, not wanting it to be insensitive, comical, something like that, that they agreed, Chip and Bose agreed that if they couldn't do it right, like if the performance didn't work in the film, they would shelve the film. Mm-hmm. And that that was a decision that was like, that Chib was able to be like, this is not working. This is not like Mm. CP, this doesn't feel real. There was an agreement that it wouldn't, they would be like, this film doesn't see the light of day. Mm -hmm. And so that is the messy soup that is this conversation around this film, right? There's also some background that is also very messy and not 100% clear around the casting of Lila. Yes. So Bose, the director, has kind of said two things at the New York Film Festival said that she had tried really hard. I'll quote this for you. I worked really hard to find disabled actors, not to be politically correct, but if somebody has CP and can act, give them a chance. She said she did a nationwide search across India, auditioned one person who was then not comfortable with the intimacy scenes yep, I um, that because well. she was a quote unquote middle-class girl from India who didn't want her family to see it quote-unquote, wasn't a seasoned actor. And for Bose, the sex scenes were more important than having that actor play the role. Which makes it sound like they first tried really, really hard to have somebody with CP to actually play the role of Lila. But then there's other quotes that I found about how Kalki was their first choice. She was always their first choice and they always wanted to invest a lot in the way that she, in how she played the role. And so there is kind of like that strange, I'm not sure, I'm not sure what the, what actually happened, but we have those two quotes from Bose. And then also when at the New York Film Festival, Bose was, was asked about this, she kind of slipped into, I think, a, a lot of arguments that I've, that we've talked about and seen around kind of like, especially queer representation or other minority representation. The fact that this is fiction, she said, quote, this is fictional filmmaking. She took umbrage with criticism of the casting of Kalki. This is fictional filmmaking. These are not documentaries. By that note, note actors have to play many, many roles that are not them. She goes on to say, should Sean Penn not have played Harvey Milk? If you extend this argument that if somebody has to be the thing that they are playing, can an upper class person play a working class person? This is fictional filmmaking. And I feel as a director, I did give it a chance to give it to somebody. I don't want to be slammed like this. But if there was such an actor out there, I would have given them the opportunity. Mm. Messy soup, Super, is yeah. Messy what soup, saying. messy, yeah. messy soup. And yeah, there's so, there's so many elements of this. Like, there's also the fact that the actress kind of went method with it. So sure. she, so pretty she was much, in her chair. The idea the of her time. like uh, suddenly between takes, just being like, oh, let me shake off that like mm. way of that physicality, that thing. Um, it's interesting because it didn't happen. And depending on your view on like method acting and that kind of way of doing performance, that is either uh, better or worse for you, depending on how you feel about it. And mm. so I think that it's one of those things where like me saying, they kind of dealt with it in terms of talking to this person who was so 
instrumental in being the inspiration behind it in a way all the way through to the end product to getting sign off whether it would even be made feels like the best version of doing sure. of that decision but should they have made that decision mm -hmm. is the best version of a wrong decision still just a wrong decision uh that's up to you to decide for yourselves it dear is, listeners it is also to add to this messy soup i think it is also worth bearing in mind that this is a it's a hindi indian production intended for indian audiences mm -hmm. it then did the international film festival circuit but especially conversations around representation disability rights and things like that are at a different place that they are than they are with Western audiences. Mm -hmm. Now that isn't to kind of like excuse it, but it is context I think that is important when we're critiquing mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, works from other countries yeah. where the circumstances are different, the audiences they have to cater to are different. Especially I think looking at that cross section of not only just needing someone who had CP, but needing someone who was also okay with not just sex scenes, but Mm. same sex sex scenes when in India at the time homosexuality was illegal, illegal when they yeah. were filming so this came out in 2014 and the ban which was from colonial rule thanks Victorians um, uh, uh, wasn't lifted into 2018 interestingly though when this went to censors only the straight scene got cut mm, so um, uh, the reason that Jared only lasts 10 minutes is because <laughs> 10, 10 minutes 10 he seconds. only lasts 10 seconds uh, is because of the Indian censors mm -hmm. and you know what I'm happy for that that straight erasure. Similarly, I don't know whether you came across this in your research, but um, Bose talked about the fact that the shoot in New York was awful and the shoot in mm. India was great. Yeah. And you and I feel like if you were going to be the stereotypical Westerner about this, you'd be like, mm, yeah, you know, I guess that they would have had a really difficult time in India with this film because of the same sex stuff and blah, blah, blah. And it would have been like, you know, liberating to be... Absolutely not. Mm. Uh, she basically said that there was no issue in India and it was a really supportive and great set. And then she just had horrible racism when she came to New York. Mm. Um, she said, it's the first time in 25 years of living in the US I experienced racism from members of my own crew. We just didn't have a crew who believed in the film passionately. So they were always whining and complaining. The Indian shoot, on the other hand, was so supportive and loving. It felt like home, even though in many ways, America is my home turf. And I think that that's... A very interesting and I think important thing to note is within these ideas of like, oh, you know, India is, was it a different place and all this kind of stuff. Like actually there's a difference between the wider idea of like the political environment and the legal environment and also people's individual experiences. Mm. So essentially messy soup is what we're saying. Messy, Is the messy conclusion to this section. Soup. <laughs> I also just wanted to very quickly touch on the fact that we have within the movie we kind of talked a little bit about this already when we were talking about what happened in the film, but I feel like there's some uh, stereotypes within disabled rep, which are twisted around, turned on their head, commented on in this movie in kind of an interesting way. So for example, the film came about because Bose's aunt was kind of like, what is the point of having a filmmaker in the family if you don't make a film about CP? Uh, like you have this opportunity, your cousin who is basically like your best friend, like you grew up together, you have this opportunity, blah, blah, blah. And this basically Bose was like, well, I mean, the story of someone overcoming disability has mm. kind of been there, done that, not a fan. So like not really of interest. And I think it took until this uh, storyline that was outside of her cousin's experience but ran alongside it kind of mm -hmm. came about that 
uh, and it went through a load of script edits and like um, workshops and and I think like mentorships within New York and stuff um, for it to get to where it was that it kind of felt like it made sense. And I feel like that is really telling that there was this understanding of like, I'm not interested in telling the very boring traditional story of like, look at this mm. poor pitiable slash inspirational disabled person. And so, you know, we have this character who is kind of an asshole who isn't this like angelic figure who just suffers or whatever or is, and like, that actually is my favorite thing about lila as yeah. a character is the fact that she's a dick she's the worst and like part of me again i need to know i i don't generally judge movies on like the movies that they aren't mm. because this was the movie that was made but there is a version of this movie which is starts in act two and does the rom-com thing of like someone makes a mistake they work through the relationship they get back together mm. and that she they stay together at the end and it's her learning more about her own failings and i think one of the reasons why it felt slightly unsatisfying to me as an ending is because i didn't necessarily think that she'd learn anything about her own <laughs> shittiness sure <laughs> I was like, you kind of like, I kind of was hoping that her being an arsehole was going to be something that was like examined properly. Mm. And I don't know whether just like her mom dying necessarily did that. Mm. Um, but I also know that Bo's had an experience of um, her bereavement. Died. Her son died. And so that makes a lot more sense in context as to like why grief mm -hmm. was like a big theme within this movie. And I think that if we're going to separate the art from the artist, I don't know how far it worked for me but you can absolutely understand why that felt like it was something like thematically that mm. she wanted to include so essentially in in sort of the widest conclusion possible some people love it <laughs> some people not and i think it is either way that you fall it's a really interesting piece of queer cinematic history because of the way that it is kind of straddling so many different identities, different mm -hmm. cultures, different arguments around the concept of like queer filmmaking, who gets to tell those stories and and why and how. And so, and it's right on the cusp of us having these conversations, right? It like mm -hmm. wasn't made at a time when people should have known better and all this kind of stuff. This came out in 2014 when Eddie Redmayne played Stephen Hawking, who has a degenerative disease. And I think I think Eddie Redmayne individually is probably responsible for quite a lot of the conversations we have about who should play what roles. Um, <laughs> just a little Danish girl plug there from Jazza. <laughs> yeah, Jazza. Uh, but like those conversations were just kind of starting mm -hmm. to happen. And I think that the conversations that we saw happening at like the New York Film Festival, for example, uh, that contributed to this messy soup, maybe would have been different if this film came out later. Maybe some of the decisions would have been different as well. But it's a product of its time. All right, so every movie that we review is awarded different colors of the six-barred pride flag. Any combination of red, orange, yellow, green, blue, or purple. Rowan, which colors are you going to give it? I think I'm gonna give this movie two stripes. Red for sex, because the, as we've established, there was a lot of it. And also purple for spirit, because she has a lot of it as well. Mm -hmm. Spirit and sex, the two genders. No, the, the two, two, genders. <laughs> the two uh, things that are overflowing in this uh, movie. Yeah, I 100% agree. We submitted to the archive. Thank you so much. I guess let us know if you agree or not. Oh yeah, no, please do. Let us know on Twitter. Speaking of which, 
thank you so much for listening. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at QueerMoviePod. And our Instagram. Is, is it also at QueerMoviePod. It's also at QueerMoviePod because we know how SEO works. Uh, where Rowan shares sneak peeks of episodes um, and some teases of the stuff that we are talking about. Yeah, I love how you're being very transparent there where it's like, I don't do any of that oh no it I is hate just it. rowan rowan yeah, makes all the graphics the burning passion <laughs> also i we mentioned it earlier but if you would like to support the podcast um i mean that we can do what we do over here put in the hours of research recording all that jazz editing etc feel entertained please do think about supporting us over there you don't just get to support us and have a good warm fuzzy feeling there are also perks that go with these tiers so we have amongst other things the monthly queer movie watch along where you can join the patron only discord and we watch a lovely queer movie every month it's really lovely it's a great way to expand your taste in film and hang out with some other queers and learn more about what um is on the queer movie podcast queer bingo sheet as well as hands yeah hands water moonlight bikes there's so many of them exactly make sure you follow and subscribe to the podcast in whatever podcatcher you're using so that you are primed and ready for our next episode. Thank you so much, my Dorylens. We'll hear from you, or you'll hear from us. Hopefully. Very soon. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow us on Twitter to keep up to date with everything podcast related. If you feel entertained, please do think about supporting us over on Patreon. Our patrons really do allow us to put in the hours of research and recording that goes into these episodes. So sincerely, thank you. One of our perks on Patreon is a queer movie watch along every last Saturday of the month exclusively for our patrons hosted on our Discord. Gay fun really is had by all so come join us. The Queer Movie Podcast is edited by Julia Shafini. We're also part of Multitude Productions, so make sure you check out all of their other awesome podcasts full of both fun and frivolity. Make sure you follow and subscribe to this here podcast so that you are primed for our next episode. Thank you very much, my darlings. You will hear us very soon. Toodaloo. Uh, bye. Bye.